0: Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast, I'm your host Sam Vecini, we're presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, the girl from the Peloton ad is here, we're going to talk about the Knicks, we're going to talk about the Cavaliers, Uh, we're going to talk about people in uh, basketball that take up a lot of usage, and then we're going to talk about some prospects that are intriguing us. Girl from the Peloton ad, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. <laughs> uh, end of the week, it's uh gonna be back on, man. This is gonna be fun.
0: You're you're not girl from the Peloton ad. <laughs> you're Coles Wicker. This is this is less fun. I thought I was gonna get to talk to the girl who's scared to go on a exercise bike about Eve Ponds, but apparently I'm stuck with you.
1: <laughs> uh man, killing the suspense here now.
0: <laughs> one Person that is not stuck with their significant other anymore. The New York Knicks have just fired David Fisdale. Uh, this is a complicated one to me, I guess, because you and I were very low on this Knicks team coming into the year. That is fair to say, right?
1: Uh, you're damn straight it is.
0: <laughs> also... Like, we were, we were low on it because the roster pieces did not make sense. They did not fit together. Um, we were not necessarily low on it because of Fisdale. Having said that, I thought they would have more than four wins right now. And I don't think David Fisdale has covered himself in glory and is someone that they should assuredly be trying to keep in the fold, right? Like, it's a complicated issue. I think. Uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on the Knicks deciding to fire Fizdale.
1: Yeah, to me it's simpler. I don't think that Fizdale has done anything affirmatively positive to suggest that he's the guy for this job. And when you have a coaching situation like that where you're not adding any value, and I don't know what argument you can make that he is a positive coach for this team. And when you reach that point and you recognize that I think you just move on. I'm not saying, this doesn't mean it's all his fault I think it's multifaceted as far as who's to blame but I think it's pretty clear that Fizdale was not the guy and again I think when you have that situation like Igor last year with the Suns for example sure. I don't think the Suns were hit Igor's fault I think there's a lot of personnel issues uh at at play there as far as transactions and whatnot but it was pretty clear that he didn't do anything positive to the point where you say this guy is the guy moving forward you might as well just move on and of course James Jones became the GM so he wanted to get his guy in the building so it's a little bit different but I think overall when you have a coach that you don't really believe in as being a long-term option you just move on you don't wait a year for example and, and waste that time
0: so yeah I think I agree with you on this First and foremost, uh, I don't really have a problem with them firing Fizdale. Like LeBron has come out and said that his guy, Fizdale, that was with him in Miami was the fall guy. And, you know, there have been some national people like when Woj reported it, Woj said that uh, it was this is a rudderless ship. And look, I agree. The Knicks are a rudderless ship. I don't think that what Woj said is wrong. Having said that, over the last... Specifically the last two games, I would say it's been trending worse. This team has gotten demonstrably, significantly worse. And it's even little stuff like effort, right? Like you go out and you sign Bobby Portis, Marcus Morris, Taj Gibson. These guys who have a reputation for playing hard, for, you know, kind of being culture guys you know Marcus Morris is someone who I think is good to have around you have vets around you know who knows what he's like whenever he's the vet law like voice in the room but there are a lot of guys on this team that have been renowned for a number of years for how hard they play and how they work as teammates for the most part like even Bobby Portis who punched Nikola Miritich in the face Right. Like from what I understand, like that locker room in Chicago really liked him. Right. So the fact that they go out and lose last night by like 37 points, they lost. Uh, I want to say it was to the Bucks by like 40 points uh, earlier this week. That is a concerning sign. And it's why I ultimately don't really have an issue with this because I think you want to get out ahead of it before it really starts to get worse. I mean, like I almost said, before it starts to uh, become an embarrassment. But let's be honest, the Knicks are already at that point. This team is a mess right now.
1: A hundred percent agree. I think the lack of compete level, I watched a little bit of the Denver game last night and you heard bring on the broadcast, like these guys just kind of quit. And when you start having that sentiment that, the effort isn't there. Like again, fisto wasn't doing anything with his rotations or with his scheme that just jumped off the page. And I realize he's very limited by personnel. Those two things can exist in concert though. He was dealt a bad hand, Fizzdale it was in a bad situation. The personnel on this team is not good. It did not make sense. I didn't like what they did in free agency. A lot of this is on the front office. But he also didn't make much with the situation. So I think both those things can be true.
0: So I will, I'll go to like bat slightly on this, right? Because when you work in a front office and you are a coach for a team and your front office brings in Marcus Morris, Bobby Portis, Wayne Ellington, Taj Gibson. Uh, who else am I missing here? Uh, Julius Randall's on a two-year contract, but I'm talking specifically about the guys they brought in on a one-year contract. Alfred Payton's another one. Alonzo Trier's on a yes. one-year contract. Um, when you have a lot of these guys who you sign over the offseason specifically and hand them one-year contracts. You do so with the idea of them having a role on your team in terms of playing time, right? I would imagine that, you know, Bobby Portis did not sign with the Knicks for $15 million a year uh, without knowing that he was going to play at least 20 minutes a night, right? You can say the same with Marcus Morris. You can say the same with... Whoever you wanna talk about, right? Like I would imagine that there were some assurances made in terms of playing time to these guys because they all have to re-enter the market next summer. And I know that, you know, theoretically they're two-year deals with a second-year team option, right? But the Knicks have the ability to have max cap space next summer. They're probably re-entering the marketplace next summer. Just a realistic assessment of what this is. So I think that in that case, Fizz was put into a hard scenario in the organization as a whole was put into a hard scenario because now you're essentially between a rock and a hard place, right? So on one hand, you can play the kids and do what the fan base wants and do what will hopefully foster the development of your team long term. But if you do that, you're probably pissing off agents and you're pissing off players who talk to other players around the league. If you play the vets... What you have told them that you're going to play them, you're probably making the vets relatively happier, uh, but you're pissing off the fan base and you're not developing the team in the way that you think. And look, there's a middle ground for all of this, but I think that with the way this roster is constructed, it's the middle ground is too narrow to consistently hit whenever you're trying to formulate a coherent rotation. And that's what makes all of this so incredibly difficult for a coach. Like, let alone David Fisdale or Greg Popovich. Like, this this was going to be a hard situation regardless because of the situation that Steve Mills, Scott Perry, James Dolan, and the rest of the front office put the coaching staff in.
1: No, I completely agree. I think that's kind of the point I was making with Fisdale. He was put in basically a no-win situation. He just didn't do a lot with that. But I think the primary focus should be on the organization because you said— They're kind of put, you know, rock in a hard place. They put themselves there. Like the organization did that. They made these moves that didn't align. Like they didn't build around the young guys necessarily. They brought in veterans, like high money value, short term deals. You're trying to balance two different timetables. You're trying to balance too many different interests. Like You should be playing Mitchell Robinson with like a stretch four. Like Maybe Bobby Portis would have made some sense there as far as just giving him another big that can really space, running some pick and roll, putting RJ in space outside of being surrounded by guys like Marcus Morris, for example, like bigger guys who teams don't really respect, Alfred Payton. So I think you're juggling too many different things. There's no coherent plan to me here and it's just it they should have made the mo harkless trade and gotten the first round pick i think at the time they they said they have too many picks already well there's not one difference maker on this team right now and in my opinion i don't think there's anybody on this roster that has potential to be a difference maker maybe mitchell robinson on defense i think rj is going to be a very solid player he's going to be a good starter but i don't think he's moving the needle for you so why are you sacrificing picks in that respect when you don't have the guy yet so i, I just think the the mentality of the front office approach to this is off still a bad hand again I don't think he's done anything with it and that's why I'm okay you know with him being let go if he's not going to do anything for your team I, I I don't have a problem with that I don't like to see anybody get fired of course but that's just the nature of the league if you don't do your job to the fullest extent you're probably not going to be kept there but I also think this sh- kind of logic should also apply to the front office because they haven't done their job yeah you know like It's funny. I talked to like some people within
0: that organization, we will say, and, you know, basically what their thought was is they did not want to go down the road of, you know, taking on an asset for a draft pick. And I don't I do not understand why I think that is a complete and utter mistake on their part. Um, And part of the issue, too, is not like you said, like there was merit to some of these signings. Right. Uh, Signing Bobby Portis, theoretically, to space the floor for R.J. Barrett and your attack-oriented guards like Dennis Smith Jr., sure. Right? Like, you can make a case for that. Uh, He's not going to help your defense, but whatever. Uh, If your goal is development... That is not a crazy bad decision. Even like Marcus Morris at the four, not a crazy bad decision, right? Like he can space the floor a little bit. He gives you another option in terms of being able to create offense as a bailout situation, which is something that this team needs. Like there are worlds where that signing works. The problem is signing five of these guys, right? It's not signing one or two of them and seeing what works. You can't really do that in the NBA. You can't sign five, hope that one or two of them work out. On big money, one-year deals and, like, pray. You can do it with minimum players, like with what Houston has done, right? Like, they just take swings, right? The Sixers just take swings because those guys are happy to get deals, right? They're just happy to... uh, They want to compete and they want to be on a roster and they're going to work their ass off to get it. But they're happy to be on a roster and they understand that their role is probably going to be minimal on some level, right? When you sign guys to... Ten to twenty million dollar deals—that's just not a realistic assessment of how this is going to go.
1: Well, I think Randall's a really good embodiment of this. Like, I do think Randall's a quality player in his own right. I like him more as like a sixth man kind of the role he played on the Pelicans, for example, as like a scoring type. But like on this team, you're paying him starter money, so you're going to start him at the four. He doesn't make any sense next to Mitchell Robinson. Like those those guys aren't compatible on the floor, especially next to RJ too. It just doesn't make logical sense for developing and cultivating your young talent, and then you come into political issues like you're paying Randall all this money so you have to start him but that doesn't make the most sense for this team and that's why it's not just about acquiring talent and again you have to make your team as far as team building sense makes sense not just on the same timelines necessarily but put guys in position to succeed and they're not optimizing a lot of these guys
0: and you know this is something I wrote in the prospect breakdown for the Knicks that I wrote up Uh, probably would have been a few weeks ago now You look at what this front office has prioritized uh, over the last couple of years, basically since Phil left. It is just all of these volume scorers. Like, look at, like, almost all of the signings. Julius Randle, Bobby Portis, Marcus Morris, all volume scorers. Wayne Ellington. Good floor spacer, not necessarily a volume scorer, but really just a scorer. Uh, Dennis Smith Jr., if you're making him something of a centerpiece that you want within the Christophs Porzingis deal. Definitely more of a scorer than a distributor. Last summer, Mario Hazonia, mostly a volume scorer so far in his career. Kevin Knox, volume scorer at Kentucky. R.J. Barrett, volume scorer at Duke. Second round pick, Iggy Brastacus. Volume scorer at Michigan, even though he knocked down shots. Uh, Alonzo Trier, scorer. Amir Hinton, scorer who could not do anything else at Division Two. Shaw, Lamar Peters, scoring point guard. VJ King didn't really do anything at Louisville, but was a guy that the idea behind him is he's six foot six with long arms and can score. Even like the little ones, John Jenkins, Trey Burke, scoring guards. Henry Allenson, guy that is mostly just offense only. Right, this front office only values offense. And they only value scoring within offense. They don't value enough high IQ decision makers, and they don't value anything other than being able to put the ball in the basket. And that is a terrible way to build a basketball team.
1: Well, kind of the irony of that is a lot of these guys like Knox for example is better utilized as a floor spacer than he is a volume Or like if you put him in an optimal role he's more of a tertiary guy who's like a floor spacer can attack closeouts a little bit you don't really want him as a focal point of your offense he's an ancillary guy that, that's kind of that's kind of interesting I will give them credit though for the Mitchell Robinson pick I think that was actually a very yeah. very good pick I, I tweeted at the time that was probably the best work the Knicks have had in a long time and of course I mean, we know. the Inter, you can probably confirm that. But I thought that was actually good. That was a good move by them. Outside of that, I, I think it's been kind of a train wreck. And they, they haven't drafted. I wouldn't say they've drafted terribly. Like Nilakina hasn't turned out. At the time, I, I still think but that that he's wasn't a okay really player. this front office. Though, that was that was the Phil Jackson era. That's a good point. So, yeah, like, no, great point. So. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, uh, I mean, even then you could say they didn't They didn't take Donovan Mitchell. So it wasn't perfect there, but you're absolutely right. They, that wasn't the same um, front office, the same decision makers.
0: It's just, I know that David Fisdale did not do a good job. And because of that, I am with you. I don't have a problem with this firing. It's just like this, none of this is going to matter. Until the front office gets cleared out and none of it is going to matter, probably, until James Dolan moves on and decides to do something else with his time. Uh, If he decides to maybe invest $100 million more into JD in the straight shot. Maybe like that would be more beneficial than pissing money down the drain with the New York Knicks, right? The problem is that Knicks fans continue to allow him to print money hand over fist, and I don't blame them. Like, look, Knicks fans, please continue to support your team because the amount of the amount that I respect that Knicks fans are still as uh, not broken as they are is immense. Like the fact that they are still hanging on is remarkable to me. And I can't emphasize enough how much I respect that, but it's nothing's going to change. Like nothing is going to change until Dolan sells the team and Dolan's not going to sell the team until they stop printing money. So, I, I don't know what to do in this scenario. Like, I just don't know how to fix the New York Knicks.
1: Yeah, I mean, Dolan's clearly the kind of umbrella over all of this, that we don't know what his exact involvement in. There's been some reports that he's kind of stepped away and let Mills and Perry do their job. Who knows if that's true or not? I'm not going to sit here and try to postulate the reality of that circumstance, but the evidence in the, in the past has been not positive. It, who, who knows how that's going to play out in I think the Knicks are my favorite personally, they're my favorite fan base in the league, so it sucks to kind of see them, and I think they have the best broadcast in the league with Breen like, and, and Clyde. I, I, I enjoy Clyde a lot like that. It's just kind of the whole thing's kind of tragic. It, they should be a better team. they're you know in the garden. it, it just hasn't happened and, and the decision making hasn't been there. I do think they need an overall. They need to get people in there who have a better idea of like evaluating talent and, and they have to get a difference maker. You can't really do anything in the league if you don't have that guy. So maybe that's the 2021 draft. They put emphasis in that, but I think you need to get somebody in there that will have an established, coherent plan and and actually have the ability to carry that out.
0: Let's do a quick ad. This fall, start a new monthly routine that'll upgrade your life and style with a box of awesome from Bespoke Post. Bespoke Post sends guys only the best stuff every month. So whether you're looking to craft your own hard cider or toast perfectly aged fall cocktails box of awesome has you covered from style and grooming goods to barware cooking tools and outdoor gear box of awesome has carefully built collections for every part of your life. Uh to get started take the quiz at boxofawesome.com your answers will help them pick the right box of awesome for you they realize new boxes they release new boxes every month across a ton of different categories it's free to sign up and you can skip a month or cancel anytime each box only costs 45 bucks but it has $70 or more worth of gear inside Get 20% off of your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the code THEORY, T-H-E-O-R-Y, at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com, code THEORY for 20% off your first box. I can't imagine a better gift than that for Christmas. Uh, And look, let's hit up ExpressVPN as well. I live in Los Angeles, but I enjoy watching games from all across the country. It used to be a big pain for me because they don't always show their games in my area but this season I discovered an amazing trick that lets me watch every single NBA game live for a fraction of the normal cost. It's called ExpressVPN. Here's how it works. The NBA offers NBA League Pass which lets you stream games online but if you live in the US or Canada it doesn't let you watch all of them because some of them are blacked out. So what do you do? You fire up ExpressVPN and use it to change your location to a different country. Buy and use the nba league pass from there and boom there are no blackouts look even when i'm not watching the nba i'm just like kind of crazy about my information being out there uh i have ExpressVPN vpn on all the time because it encrypts all of my data keeps me safe from hackers uh it really is just a terrific product use my special link today to get three months free free at expressvpn.com slash theory. Uh, that's, again, T-H-E-O-R-Y, after which you can sign up for NBA League Pass at a huge discount. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash theory for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash theory to learn more. Cole, the, the second thing I want to talk to you about here today is... The Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, there's a report today in The Athletic. Shout out my lovely place of work. Uh, Apparently, some players are not super pleased with how John Beeline is treating them. When you read this story, what is your uh, initial reaction to John Beeline, longtime college coach, treating professional players like college kids?
1: I mean, that's the natural... I mean, I wouldn't say natural progression, but it's expected that not all professionals are going to take the kind of, I, I guess speak that college coaches will sometimes talk to their college student athletes. Like It's a different kind of game. You have to treat... It's more about managing personalities in the pros at times than it is about just coaching. You know what I mean? And I think that might take someone like Beeline a little bit of time to get acclimated to if he does. So the derision there doesn't really surprise me. I was always higher on Beeline's ability to connect with the young guys. I didn't know about the established veterans. I mean, the Cavs are, what, 5 and 15? Like a bunch of veterans that are losing games. How are they going to be responsible? responsive to a coach i do think that really i don't know has a different mentality as far as how he communicates with players does that make sense
0: well it's absolutely it's not even just a different mentality like part of this whole thing is that john beeline is a guy that uh was never an assistant coach in college and because of that he developed like his own terminology right like he calls out polar bear for ball screens, or he calls Harry for uh, different actions. Right. So that's just not what NBA coaches do. And in large part, it's not what NBA coaches do because there is just limited practice time after training camp. I was talking to Luke Bonner on Twitter earlier and like Luke brought up a great point. Like it always took B teams a couple of years at the college level to figure it out. That's time that like, NBA coaches, A, don't really have before owners tend to get a little bit stir crazy, and B, just don't really have because of the lack of practice time. Like if you take, if it takes you two years to do something at the college level in terms of teaching terminology and getting comfortable with it, it's probably going to take longer to do so at the NBA level because You're just not going to be as used to it. Like NBA players can study and practice as much as we hope they do. And it's still going to be really hard for them to get all of this down. So when I look at this, I am thoroughly unsurprised because these are things that we knew about John Beeline coming into the entire about him becoming the Cleveland Cavaliers or any NBA team's head coach. We knew that he is a guy that can get on his players' asses a little bit because he did it at Michigan. We knew he was a guy who had, like, his own weird terminology. Uh, We knew that he was a guy who has this crazy focus on, like, rudimentary fundamental basketball, which, like, look, I'm not even hating on that. It just is a thing that, you know, might drive vets up a wall who are 30 years old. So... None of this is a surprise to me and where I think the Cavs go from here is going to be very dependent on a couple of things. Um, first, I think the biggest question is, was this a Dan Gilbert move or was this something that Kobe Altman was very gung ho about? I don't really have an answer to that, to be honest. Um, you know, Dan Gilbert obviously, you know, has a lot of business interests in Michigan. Uh, he's probably very familiar with John Beeline. He has tried to hire Tom Izzo before, obviously as well. Uh, It would not surprise me if this was more of a Gilbertian move. Um, If it was a Kobe Altman move, I think I would have more confidence in this just getting fixed very quickly. Because if it was Kobe, I would imagine that he would have a plan for how to handle it now and went into the season expecting, Hey, there will probably be some disgruntled players. Right? So I don't, I don't know what to do from here. Like, I just don't know how this is going to go from here.
1: Yeah, no, I, and I think that's those are all valid points. And you have guys with championship-level pedigree on this team, like don't Kevin Love. You have guys that have played on competitive teams like Jordan Clarkson. How are they going to be receptive to some of Beeline's tactics? I think that was always kind of somewhat of an issue. I, I thought Beeline was brought on board to coach the young guys and, and kind of develop over time. So the floor games of Garland and Sexton, for example, are, are critical to the future of the Cavaliers. And I think Beeline can do good by them by teaching them some of this stuff like how to read the game like what to look for some of the fundamentals of basketball they don't have down but if you're marrying that with also another timeline of these veterans that are like okay well we don't need to learn fundamentals uh, I think that's a a bit delicate and you could maybe see a response via a track and kind of just going all in on the future at some point because it, it's one of the situations where it is hard to marry two different timelines.
0: There's that and you know, it's interesting because while I don't think Darius Garland has been very good this year, I actually think Collins' been pretty solid for the most part. Like he's been basically what they would have expected. Like he's averaging 18 points a night, he's shooting forty-four percent from the field, his three point shooting is down a little bit. Um But if you assume that that's going to bounce up, like if you assume that Colin is a shooter like I do, like I think he's really gone a long way toward fixing a lot of the issues of his jumper. Like he's been fine, I think, so far. Like he's never going to be some elite level passer, but I think he's done a pretty good job. Garland is like a whole different ballgame just because I think he's really still learning uh, quite a bit. And like I think that that goes back to the fact that like he came up almost as more of a two guard and, you know, missed all of his college season for the most part, other than four games and, um, you know, maybe doesn't have like a crazy amount of experience seeing the floor as a guard. Like I was talking to someone earlier, like if I was the Cavs, like I would probably just want Darius to like go down to the G league for a little bit and just kind of get a chance to run the show himself for a while and do it against worse players and maybe not like have his head like far beneath the sand. Right. Or like far beneath water.
1: Yeah, but don't you think that's kind of an indictment on the pick? Then, if you have a point guard in air quotes that has to go down to the G lead to get reps in pick and role play because he doesn't really understand a lot of the fundamentals of that. I mean, I, I didn't love the pick when they had Colin already. So <laughs> I'm not. Ta- I'm not talking about you specifically. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I'm talking in general terms. Like, this is kind of what I'm getting at with the Cavs. You have to factor in expectations too, and I think a lot of Cavs fans that I saw on Twitter were like, "This is the next Atlanta Hawks," but you don't have Trey Young, guys like you, you don't like and that's kind of the difference between these two rosters uh, apart from other differences i'm a big Lloyd pierce fan of course but I, I think that you have to have the actual infrastructure like who's defending on this team they don't have any wings like there's a lot of infrastructure problems like do you what do you really expect and when you get veterans and they're 5 and 15 and they're being taught they're being coached on fundamentals you're probably going to have a little bit of like a response to that
0: yeah and you know, you brought up the defense, right? Like I actually thought that they were pretty frisky early on defensively. Like I remember talking about that with you. Like they looked fine on defense early in the season. They that's fallen off. They're like 25th in defensive rating now, and I would imagine that if you go back through uh, their last, you know, 10 to 15 games, they're probably like 29th or 30th. Like it, it's it's pretty bad now. Uh, it, and look, like talent wise, that's where we expected them to be. And but I also worry that that is a sign of beeline starting to wear on them in a way that, isn't super sustainable long term
1: yeah that's definitely fair and i think we both expected their defense to be porous i, oh, what we I, both I thought they not. would
0: be one of the two worst defenses in the nba like unquestionably so oh, yeah the fact that they were like pretty competent early in the season i was like okay this is this is interesting like this maybe they'll figure this out but like no that is completely fallen off they've lost 10 of their last 11 and have looked like abysmal
1: yeah and i think the the bigger takeaway for me and both of us at the time was they're competing that's what i liked about right. the Cavs. is Line was getting these guys to play hard like they were playing above their talent level on defense and that was a testament to the coach i haven't seen or maybe in part a testament to the coach i haven't seen them play in a good bit so i don't know if that compete level and that effort and that fire has you know regressed or it's just they're regressing back to the mean or back to their average as far as them not being a good defensive team they don't have rim protection again they, they play two guards they don't have defensive wings it's a flawed roster and i think again when you're a fan base, you have to manage expectations. Like, I just talked with Brad Rowland on his podcast with the Hawks, and a lot of Hawks fans are, like, after Lloyd Pierce. They're starting like Damian Jones and Jabari Parker at the 4-5. or five. Those That's, like, the worst defensive 4-5 or five combination I've ever seen. It's just, you have to understand the situation and the context and, and make observations and analysis based on that. Things don't exist in a vacuum.
0: So, over the last 11 games for the Cavs, I just pulled up some numbers here, they have a... 118.8 defensive rating uh which is not last in the league shockingly because Atlanta as you just mentioned is setting a new precedent for defensive attitude Oh God. um a minus 15.5 net rating, that is worse than the league. And it's worse by like almost a point and a half uh, in comparison to Atlanta. But the problem, even in addition to the defense, is the fact that like this team just is not fun to watch. They have a 52.2 assist rate, which is second worst. They have a 1 to 2.3 assist to turnover ratio, which is worse. Uh, they're just not a good, like they're turning the ball over way too much. They don't really shoot it super well there's just not a lot to be excited about like there's not a lot to pick out on this team as being like good even like colin i think is like a semi bright spot but colin still has a true shooting percentage on the year of like 52 percent right uh if that's your bright spot, that's not a great sign.
1: Well, and Colin doesn't really move the ball naturally either. Like he scores right. pretty well. Same with Darius too, by the way. Exactly right. That's what I was getting at. You have two of your like quote unquote initiators of plays who aren't great passers. So what like, what do you really expect? This is like what we talked about in the preseason. Like they, they don't have that guy who they can just run their offense through as like the Fulcrum who can get everybody else the ball. They have to get baskets so they have to create offense via a system. And if you don't have enough passers in that, you're gonna it's gonna be ridiculous reduced to you know a lot of straight like pick and roll one read scenario hitting the dive man or some isolation plays dribble handoff because beeline has to simplify it and that's kind of what that's why i'm not a, totally against beeline here because what do you really expect them to do you think they're just going to go one five pick and roll with garland every time and he can hit cutters he can hit the, the skip pass like they just don't have the personnel to do that kind of stuff
0: yeah no totally agree with you uh it's worth noting too so like uh when I, uh, when this pick happened, the Darius Garland pick, uh, here is what I wrote. So sources told me like throughout leading up to the draft that if DeAndre Hunter got to five, the Cavs were going to take him. Now, do I think that that was totally real? And do I think that it was or do I think it was like them trying to get Atlanta to move up to four so that uh, Darius would follow them at five? I think there's a case for it either way, but like there there was a very real uh, amount of people telling me that DeAndre Hunter was the guy at five. They got that. Um, to go from taking DeAndre Hunter, who is a really good fit for everything that the Cavs have on their roster. And like just from a need and roster fit perspective, it's taking Darius. What I wrote is that this is the antithesis of that. And as someone who thinks that the way that pieces fit together on a roster developmentally is incredibly important, I can't get hundred percent behind this pick. The Cavs argument would be that they're so early in their rebuild that they simply should be taking the highest upside players in the draft and that you can make a case that Darius Garland probably was that, um, because if the live dribble game translated and the shooting off the bounce translated, like that is just an incredibly valuable skill set. Uh, but there's just no way that Colin and Darius is going to work long term on defense. Like it's just not going to happen. So I, I just don't know how to look at this and be positive about. Like I, I would like to be very positive. This is a very negative podcast right now because we're talking about the Cavs and the Knicks. But like I, I don't know how to look at this situation and go, this is smart team building that makes sense
1: yeah and I'm the same way I'm not gonna say something positive if I don't feel that way and I've been pretty low on all the Cavs prospects I've been kind of low on that whole construct like again I, I don't think the Darius Garland pick was crazy I was lowering him I had him more like Twelfth. I don't think DeAndre Hunter is moving the needle for these guys either. I mean, Hunter is solid, but you you still have Colin Sexton initiating your offense, and that's not really what he's best at. You know what I mean? So there's sure. a lot of, of, of there's a lot of flawed roster components. Again, they don't have Trey Young. So like the, the Cavs fans that think this is going to be like that, it's not going to be. You just don't have the guy, and they got to get they have to get the guy. Maybe they think Garland can be that. I, I don't think so. I don't think he's the kind of athlete that people think he is as a slasher. He got the Dame Lillard comparisons. He's not nearly as athletic as Dame Lillard is, especially in straight. Lines. So there's just again, you have to get the infrastructure to really move forward. And and I get it as a fan base, you either want to be competing or you want to have the hope of being able to compete. And right now, I don't know if the Cavs realistically have either one of them. They definitely are not competing. I don't know if they even have the infrastructure and the players yet to say we have the hope to eventually compete. But like,
0: think about it this way: like the Cavs right now have two top ten picks on their roster. They had two additional first round picks this year in Dylan Windler and Kevin Porter, like both of whom I liked. Like, I certainly liked Kevin where they got him. Um, And Kevin's already making an impact. Uh, They have Ante Zizic, who was like another first round pick that they got within the uh, Kyrie deal, if I remember correctly. Um, And they got Chetty Osman, who they just signed to an extension, who is, in my opinion, like at least a rotation player. Right. I still have that team ranked number 17 in my rookie prospect rankings right like in my rookie scale prospect rankings there is no way that a team that has expended that many assets on players should be that low just straight up being realistic about it there is just no way that they should be that yep. low if they were utilizing the assets properly
1: yeah i i totally agree with that i i, I think that's too often- I agree and they look at where you're drafted and say oh this is a really promising you know future and whatnot but you have to actually get the picks right too like I, I was even lower on Shea than I should have been but that was the, the I mean in retrospect they have a brighter future if they take Shea over Colin even if Colin's been solid right. and I, I will get him that I'm just saying that again you have to get the guys to move forward right you, you and like just, it, just yeah. I would have missed on
0: that like I had Colin ahead of Shea I had him ahead by one spot but like I would have taken Colin over Shea. I would have been wrong on that. Like, that's that's not to say that, like, I, I would have been right by doing something, right? Like, I also would have taken Miles Bridges over Colin. But, like, at the end of the day, like, Miles Bridges probably is not moving the needle for this group either, right? So, like, it's not to nope. say that we are, you know, taking a victory lap or some shit here. It's that no. it's it's just you have to get the picks right you know, it might not have been that we would have been right. It's that these guys are not right. And we need to call
1: out that they are not doing it right. Well, and for me, it goes to a bigger picture point that we talk about consistently on the podcast. And it's really hard to get guys that move the needle. So if you get a chance to do that, you have to take it because those guys are the ones that vault you from being, you know, in this abyss of being non-competitive to actually having a legitimate you know, future competitively and having someone to build around. And those guys are hard to find. And that's why it goes to philosophy in the draft as far as realizable upside and whatnot and, like, what is valuable, connecting the dots. And I think all of that comes full circle with the Cavs because they have expended a lot of resources. But in my opinion, they don't have anybody that they can really point to and say, that's the guy that we're going to build around.
0: Yeah, And it's very unfortunate. Um, all right, let's uh, – I don't know. Do you – Seth Partnow wrote a really interesting article earlier today in The Athletic and maybe we'll save it for next time that you and I talk because I think that there is like a bigger, broader conversation to be had just about the way that stars are evaluated now uh, because of the singular emphasis that many teams put on a single player in terms of usage, like usage rates for some of the best players in the league are through the roof in a way that they have not been. In the past, right? So how do you go about evaluating that? Like how do you go about evaluating Luka Doncic, who is the ball in his hands ninety percent of the time for Dallas, seemingly? Um, and James Harden, who is the ball ninety percent of the time for Houston, versus Stars of Old, even like Kobe Bryant did not hold the ball this much seemingly, except in the year where he had Smush Parker as his point guard, right? <laughs> so let's maybe let's save that for next week and move on and talk about some nba draft prospects maybe maybe we can uh have a little bit of a book club maybe that's what this this situation (laughs) is maybe this is a game theory book club right cole let's do it before we get there though let's uh let's move on and do a quick ad for manscaped uh manscaped is a terrific product it is the best in and i quote men's below the belt grooming uh it offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. The talking points here, Cole. I don't know if you listened to the podcast I did with Dieter on uh, on Wednesday. It would have been the talking points here are off the rails. The the first one is <laughs> jingle balls to the walls, fellas. Listen up. That's a that's a choice that someone made as a copywriter. There. That is that is a choice. <laughs> Um, regardless, I am a fan of manscaped cause I use manscaped on my face. They actually send you some oils as well. Like it's a really, really good product. The razor really is precision engineered. It is spectacular. I am a big fan. It is called the lawnmower 3.0. Uh, it has proprietary advanced skin safe technology. So the trimmer, uh, it doesn't Nick, it doesn't snag. Like it's just a really, really good product. Uh, and basically what I'm able to offer you guys is 20% off and free shipping with the code theory at manscaped.com, uh, 20% off and free shipping with the code theory at manscaped.com. It really, again, like I can make fun of the talking points as much as I want, but it is a genuinely really good product and I actually use it. I uh, am. I am very excited to get a chance to sell this to you guys on the podcast, but uh, at least at a discount that they're selling it to you, uh, man. But the, the call to action here at the end where it says, lean up your nuts and make Santa proud this year. We got to we got to get it a little bit under control there, boys. Just got to got to get it slightly more <laughs> under control. Uh our fourth sponsor is going to be betonline.ag. Football and basketball season are in full swing. Get into the game with our exclusive sports betting partners, betonline.ag. Sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit to start betting college or professional sports. Uh, every spread, every total, every winner or loser, straight bets, parlays, teasers, whatever you're looking for, you can bet it over at betonline.ag. Get the fastest two market odds, updates, and payouts with BetOnline. BetOnline.ag. Head on over there uh, with your mobile device and join and use that promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. All right, let's talk about a few draft prospects. I want to talk to you about Vernon Carey to start because Vernon Carey is much better than I thought he would be. Just Straight up, like, and I even thought that he would be very productive as a freshman at Duke. Like, I think that coming into the year when we did our preview podcast, I said something along the lines of he's going to average like 15, 15 and 10 on probably like 55 to 60% shooting and just be a monster inside and produce for Duke. I've drastically undersold what he was going to be this year because he's averaging 19.2 and 9.7 with 2.4 blocks um he's shooting 60% from the field his PER right now is a ridiculous 36.2. He has just been monstrous for Duke, and there are still a lot of defensive concerns, and there are still a lot of real worries that will probably make him something less than this in the NBA. Having said that, he has been very good this year. I had him at 47 entering the year on my big board. He is up into the first round. He is, I have him like late first round, but he has helped himself As much as almost anyone in the country in my eyes.
1: Has he been just better at the things that you thought he was good at? So is it more of a degree yeah. thing or is there anything new in his game that you you did you underrated, I guess? No,
0: it's a degree thing. Like I know that he's made, what what is it? It's like four of his five threes that he's attempted. I don't really care about that given that he's shooting 59% from the free throw line. Um, He's getting yeah. to the line a little bit more than what I expected. He's just producing more. He's averaging like, 31 points per 40 minutes and like Duke has not played a cupcake schedule so far like they have actually played tough teams they've played Michigan State they played Kansas in the opener if I remember correctly I was there I should know this um they played Cal and Georgetown like two middling to bad uh high major teams but like it's not like they have gone out and played nobody so far and for him to produce in the way that he has produced is very impressive
1: yeah, I'm I'm with you on all that. I think interestingly enough, he's kind of the inverse of Matthew Hurt, who I was probably a little bit higher on than you were coming in. We knew the strengths, we knew the weaknesses. I just think the weaknesses have been more stark than I anticipated, even in college, as far as the strength, the lack of physicality, the lack of explosion. I feel the same a little bit for Kerry. Like I, I this is kind of what I expected for him to, to dominate just physically. He's so strong, like he can get to his spots inside. Like nobody can. Really, and I think a lot of his points are are coming because of that and i'm not taking anything away from him because functional strength is is a very big thing and he definitely has that i think just as far as raw production i i think i agree with Do I expect him to be this crazy as like a scorer and whatnot? Probably not to that same extent, but he's doing a lot of the things that we thought he would. He's just being pretty effective at it. And some of the perimeter stuff, I don't really buy the decision making fully. And then the, the three point shooting, like you said, I'm not totally sold on his mechanics or his touch, but I always thought the NBA would be high on him. Like, I thought he was going to be a top 20 guy as far as in the draft. I was just a little bit lower on him because of the defense and certain other elements of his game as far as from a projection standpoint.
0: Yeah, there's there's no circumstance. I'm going to get to the point where I'm top 20 on Vernon Carey, I feel like. Like and I feel like you feel the same way, right? Like even in this weak draft class, like there are still gonna be enough guys where I'm gonna be higher on them than him.
1: Yeah, for me, there's probably guys that will be available. Like we'll get into this next week when we talk about your big board and stuff, but like I'm taking a congo over him and you can get a congo in the twenties. I'm taking Isaac Accoro over him and right now he's mocked around fifteenth, so that's I have him higher than that, but I'd still take a coral easily over vernon carrier that's how i like to do big boards kind of is look at what specific players i take and what ranges where's the value at and stuff and Carrier is probably going to be on the outside looking in as far as that goes for where he's going to be drafted
0: yeah like am i going to take vernon carrier or am i going to take a swing on paul reed like i'm probably going to take a swing on paul reed even though like i worry a little bit about paul reed being like kind of a tweener four or five guy um i'm still going to bet on Paul Reed, like, trying to teach him uh, slightly better jump shot mechanics because he very clearly has touch,
1: you know? Yes. No, I I would take Paul Reed personally. But again, this comes down to draft range. And Paul Reed right now is being mocked at 40. I think that's good value for Kerry. If he gets to, like, I don't know how high he's going to get. Some sites have him top 20 right now. I could see him even going late lottery, potentially. I think he's more likely maybe late teen. And, and there I just don't see a lot of emphasis for me to really invest at, at that point for what he is projection wise as a player especially defensively like I, I think he, there's a lot of like hybrid bigs in this class who are not full center size but have a center skill set but don't bring enough value defensively and I think Kerry kind of falls into that mold
0: let's uh let's talk about Paul Reed and Romeo Weems and Terrence Shannon and the DePaul Texas Tech game that was super fun like wasn't that a great game to watch
1: Oh yeah, no, I I watched that. I think late last night. It was really enjoyable.
0: Um, so I am, I have moved Paul Reed into the first round of my board. Uh, I think he is really interesting because he is athletic. He is someone who can like actually drive in a straight line now and attack the basket. Uh, he his shooting numbers. He's shooting thirty nine percent from three. We're gonna have to talk about the jump shot mechanics because they're very yeah. strange and out of rhythm but they still go in weirdly. Um, And then defensively, I think he's actually been really good. I think this DePaul team in general has been really good defensively and like showcased a real attention to detail there that I appreciate. Where are you on Reed? And we'll talk about his teammate, Romeo Weems
1: after. He's not that aesthetic to my eye as far as watching him. It's taken me a while to come around to him just because he's very weird player like you know the jump shot mechanics very awkward I think he just kind of moves a little bit awkwardly like he's not bursty and he's not quick twitch but he actually kind of floats a little bit he he definitely move in space relatively well but you and don't it's see, like, like herky dynamic too yeah and he's just really he's big he has a great frame he's long he, he moves well enough I wouldn't say it's anything that really stands out like you watch to move in space and you're like holy shit right and then you watch you know Paul Reed and you're like yeah he, he's he's moving well he's not like incredibly fast but it's effective and I think that's kind of the thing with this game is it doesn't look incredibly aesthetic to the eye some of his drives like he'll lose the ball he doesn't have like, an incredibly controlled handle but he's coordinated and he has good touch on runners and he can extend and he's just a very effective player like I like his team defense instincts he's been pretty good there for most of the season that I've seen making rotations and being that weak side kind of rim protector because he has the length to do that and I like his um, I like how his reactivity as far as like reacting drives I think he's very solid there too it's just again a lot of it's more effectiveness over what we typically associate with high level prospects with like explosion and like this awesome dribbling moves and whatnot and like this great jump shot off the dribble or he can shoot a little bit of pull-ups but it just doesn't look natural what he's doing out there
0: we don't think he's a center right like he's averaging 3.4 blocks per game so far for DePaul um 12.2 block rate is top 20 in the country. We don't think he's a center, right?
1: We're talking about center as in what the NBA will likely utilize him as and probably as a starter, right? Yes. Yeah, for me, no. I think if he's going to start, it's going to be at the four, but I do think he will play some five.
0: Yeah, I do think that I agree with that. Um, I think he moves well enough laterally, though, to be okay at the four. Sure. I actually think basically with these four or five tweeners, you are who you can defend, right? If you can't defend fours, you basically have to be a five. If you can't protect the rim at the five, you basically have to be a four. I actually think that like, because his weak side instincts are, pretty good as a rim protector and because he is a good rebounder and because he can move his feet on the perimeter I kind of think that you can just kind of get him on the floor defensively
1: no I'm, I'm 100% in agreement with you that's why I like him is because I do think he has a little bit of defensive versatility and he's not going to be locked into a specific position that the NBA is unlikely to utilize him at because I don't think he's again he's not going to ever start at the five for an NBA team I don't think at least a good one so you have to kind of base it in his skill set and I think his ability to really his improvement as a slasher I think is also kind of underrated frankly like his coordination um on straight line drives, it's not a lot of advanced stuff but he's he's coordinated enough to do that i'm not sure if he's going to do it at a high level but that's important to his projection too is like a floor spacer and my my biggest question with him we'll we'll get into the jump shot probably now is most importantly is the nba gonna buy his shot
0: i don't think so but he can kind of shoot like if you look at the numbers they're actually pretty good like 77 free throw percentage, 79 free throw percentage this year, 40% from three point last year on 37 attempts, 39% on 18 attempts this year. So like it's all small sample, but like the ball looks clean coming out of his hand. Like it's not even that it's just that he has the weird pause at the top of his shot and everything looks so out of rhythm. And like he is the lower half of his body flies forward. Like I don't, It's a, it's one of, he's one of the strangest guys that I'm pretty sure is a good shooter I think I've ever seen.
1: Exactly. He's just a weird player, man. That's why it's taken me a little bit longer to come around to him because it just doesn't look natural on the floor what he does, but he's very effective, and it's really the touch that you're buying. I mean, the numbers are are good enough for sure to bet on, but I do think he displays pretty natural touch for his size. So there's a lot to bet on with his shot. I'm more just curious if the NBA wants to iron out that mechanical release and, and the top, like you said, the pause is really stark. Like, and that's something that NBA teams are usually a little bit more reluctant to buy as far as volume three-point shooting. and How reliable is he really going to be? He's one of those guys where I think he's a capable shooter. Like, if you leave him open, I think he'll make some shots. Is it enough to command the gravity of a defense? Is it enough to do it high volume? I think those are the degree questions that come into play here.
0: Okay, and then my last question on Paul Reed. (laughs) Is there a chance that he is developing into a... Potential, like, legit perimeter forward. And by that, I mean, like, you probably are not going to play him at the three, but, like, he can actually catch triple threat, drive in a straight line now, catch triple threat, knock down a shot now. He doesn't have any real, like, catch two dribble pull-up game. And I think that that's probably why the answer is no. But given that his developmental track record is now like very clearly like on an arrow going through the roof, basically. Because like up until last year, like he was not a guy that was a real prospect. Like he averaged 3.6 points per game as a freshman at DePaul. Even through the first half of last year, he was not really like a guy, right? Do we think there's any upward equity of him being like, a perimeter maybe
1: shot creator. I think maybe at the four I I don't see it at the three you're not gonna like make him run a pick and roll for example like he has a good he's a strong enough handle on a straight line but I've seen him get really loose with his dribble when he really tries there in in more confined settings like are you really gonna run like a side pick and roll with him and have him attack he's an okay passer he's not a great one but I think his feels pretty good overall on both sides of the floor so I buy that but I buy it more in like a playmaking four kind of sense than I do as like a true wing as far as skill level
0: yeah I think I agree with you he is not running any pick and roll stuff this year anytime he gets the ball and drives it's like out of spot up right which is fine like do that that's what your skill set will probably be in the nba but nonetheless uh, he is two for eight on pull-ups so far this year so my assumption is that there is not real equity there but i'm i don't know there's just something weird (laughs) about his entire game where it throws me and I like almost um, and like the trajectory is on is so upwardly positive that I'm like, do I really want to just like rule all of this out? you know like I don't I, like I have him like in the top twenty five for me now, like that feels reasonable to me
1: yeah no i I totally agree with that, and I agree that there seems to be he's just a coordinated athlete, and some of these guys that have like a skill foundation that can actually do stuff on the move that are big. It's not that common to have his skill set and his just overall body control at that size. So I, I don't think I'm ruling anything out. I just don't think we're betting on range of outcomes here and like how certain we are of that, like your confidence level. And for me, like as a wing, I, like the pull-up game doesn't seem like it's going to be there. Just the utilization from NBA teams and pick and roll. Like are you going to iso Paul Reed? Like he can double spin move you and stuff and he can probably work his way to the rim against smaller defenders because he's so big and kind of extend how many teams are going to do that and, and most importantly that usually comes in like a face-up four setting so I, I'm giving him the credit for that like I do think that's a realizable outcome for him at the four I just don't think he's like this wing shot creator that's how he's going to be best utilized
0: Romeo Weems now uh, I have I have Weems as a top fifty guy on my board. I really like the defensive intensity. I really like his frame. Uh, I do think there are some very real offensive concerns in terms of like skill set right now. But where are you on Romeo Weems? I've always
1: liked his instincts. I think he has great hands on defense. He's got good enough mobility. He's not at Isaac Okoro's level as far as defensive ability, but I think he's really really advanced for a freshman. Still makes a lot of mistakes. Like he fucked up a lot in Texas Tech in that in that game. He also made some really good. Plays light on his feet. You know he's a good team defender. That's something that Paul Reed is good at as well, and that's why I think DePaul is a good defensive team is because those two guys are very good team defenders. Uh, the offensive skill package right now is very. You can see a little bit of upside as far as he can dribble pretty well, and I think he's an underrated passer at times, but hasn't really reined it in as far as making decisions. The jump shot is really where the emphasis should be focused on. Capable off the catch. I don't think he really moves the needle though, in really any. Capacity on offense like he's he shows a foundation for everything, but I don't look at his game and say where exactly on offense Is he going to get like pristine like like high-level value even as a slasher? For example, not like the most explosive athlete. He's better on cuts where he can kind of like ghost cut you on the baseline And yeah. then explode a little bit But like do you really see him becoming like this dynamic isolation slasher like that's something with his size Maybe against other two guards. He could probably take advantage of a little bit But I don't see anything in his offensive game that really moves the needle for me. What about you?
0: I think he's a little bit smarter than that. Like, I, the way that he plays, I think, is actually highly intelligent. He's really smart at timing those I back agree. cuts. He is no, I agree he's, with that. he's really, really good decision maker, too. Like, he makes a couple of passes per game where I'm like, oh, that was really impressive. And he doesn't turn the ball over. Like, he seems to know how to make a play out there, which is while also like staying within himself, which is like a really interesting uh, role player skill. At the next level and obviously like he is a real defensive like difference maker whenever he is uh, just active and aggressive like I agree with you he still needs to like hone in some shit in terms of just being overly aggressive right but if you think that the shot is real to the point where he is like you know a 37% three point shooter. And you think that he is a good decision maker and like a high feel player on offense. And he's like a defensive difference maker in some regard, maybe not like an elite defender, but like a solid multi-positional defender at 6'7 with like a seven foot wingspan or something. There's some like real, real interesting shit there.
1: No, I'm with you. I've I've always been a fan of his and I agree with the feel. I think that's why I've always liked him. I just don't think from a skill perspective, even like, okay, yeah, he's a great, he he has some good, cutting instincts he's got good like extra ball movement he makes the right play he can make a play but he's more of like a swiss army knife you know what i mean like he's not really one skill and that those guys kind of always make me reluctant as much as i like them as players like i really do enjoy Romeo reams i think he's good and I, I like where if he came out in this class i'd like where you could get him for what he brings i just don't ever know if it's going to be like one specific skill that he brings to the table that's going to be a stark positive positive. and th- those guys kind of all scare me because i don't think romeo wings is like this wing stopper like i think he's a, a good defender he's going to be a plus defender in the nba but i don't think he's like a dynamic defender and i think that's the difference i think he's kind of like in some ways he's like a poor man's isaac okoro who's a better athlete he's a better slasher i think he's a better defender weems has shot the ball better so i think that would be weems weems is one kind of positive over okoro both guys know how to play and like pass and stuff but i, I think i see more difference making upside with okoro compared to weems so i just don't see it for her.
0: So let's talk about uh, your guy, Terrence Shannon. Terrence is a guy that you brought up on the podcast in the preseason as someone to watch. Uh, by the way, I have Romeo Weems like at 55 or whatever or, or 45 or something like that. Like I I am not at the point where like, oh, yeah, this guy's like a first round pick. This guy is like super, super interesting. I'm just intrigued <laughs> to see where it goes. Um, Terrence Shannon's a guy that really blew up in that game against DePaul. I think he dropped 24. Uh was just really, really solid throughout the course of that game. He's only shooting 26% from three. And from what I understand about him, like he was always a bit more of a shooter than that. Uh, Where are you on Terrence Shannon after... Having so intelligently brought him up in the preseason as like an interesting 6'6 six, six wing prospect.
1: But really quick, last thing on the Weems. It was kind of funny because I sounded much more negative on him than you did just now, and I actually have him higher. Like, to me, I'd probably even take him very late first. So that's just kind of funny. Um, but with Shannon, I, I agree with your assessment as far as shooting. I expected just the fluidity of his mechanics to be a little bit better. Like, to me, he doesn't load quickly into his shot. It's a little awkward, like, just that process of picking up the ball and shooting quickly. And I was expecting. Expecting a little bit of cleaner release. I was expecting more like Jamius Ramsey, his teammate. I was expecting a little bit more of that, and he's oh, just a little heads bit up. more rigid.
0: I've been told that the pronunciation is Jamius oh, Ramsey.
1: Perfect. Thank you for so, that. <laughs> so we uh, oh, oh, I, is he, I always enjoy getting the right pronunciation right. <laughs> yeah
0: i needed I needed to bring that up. Uh, let me uh, let me yell out who gave me that. Uh, it was is Thomas Mooney. It's, it's Jemias Ramsey. I'm sorry. Jemias Ramsey.
1: I'm going to say Ramsey from now on, but it's decided to stop screwing it up. But, but yeah, like, I was a, is a super it's fun Catholic name sh- to say. Oh, you're damn right. It is. It's awesome. So if I can get it right and it like gets instilled in my head when I'm talking quickly. Hopefully that becomes a pattern, but, uh, what are your thoughts on Shannon? Like uh, For me, again, I, I think I was expecting a little bit more fluidity in his release. He's a little bit better of an athlete than I thought he'd be. Like, I thought at certain times against DePaul, like, he got the corner against Weems. It was kind of fun to watch those two go one-on-one a little bit. I think his first step and kind of the burst of time popped to me, as well as the explosion. And again, Ross Homan on the step, he makes this point all the time. Like Texas Tech's strength and conditioning program is pretty wildly good. So I even yeah. see a little bit more pop to his game than I saw at lower levels.
0: Yeah, I think he is a two-year guy. Um, having now seen him in a few games. Uh, the shoot the shooting is what needs to like kind of even out a little bit. Like he's not some wild athlete that's going to go out and, you know, Zyre Smith up draft boards, right? He's probably going to be a guy that needs to stay two years, maybe three years, probably two though, and figure out some of the way that the game moves because I still think the game is moving a little bit quickly for him. Like he makes a couple like weird turnovers seemingly uh, yep. every game. Like not not even like terrible ones, but just like, oh, you're just very young. Like th- this will come, you know, um, not like a high level passer decision maker either. Um, yeah. Just a multi-year guy to me uh and like a guy that has a real shot cuz he has great frame and there is a chance that he'll shoot it at some point but uh and I do like the driving game I like the fact that he seems to be fearless in the way that he attacks the basket and he's not afraid of contact he's not afraid of finishing through contact like th- there are some really interesting things and like I don't mean to be like when I say multi year guy like he's not a guy that I'm a, I'm uninterested in I just mean like I think he's probably you know a 2021 draft guy
1: Well, yeah. And a lot of these multi-year guys, when you say that, it's not like you said, it's not a negative. It's maybe he's best optimized doing that. And he'll be legitimate if he can develop more of a skill game, for example, maybe run some pick and roll, see like feel level and stuff like that. I'm interested to see his progression over the rest of the season, because frankly, when we speak about a lot of these guys, most of these guys are multi-year guys. And you want to see it. Sometimes it's better to stay and develop your skill game. And I think he's one of those guys. And I will say like 83 percent from the line, he shot well there. I think he has some touch. I just don't think it's translated quite yet to the three point line and like fluid mechanics. And that's something he can easily work on as well. He's just someone that people should have on their radar. We haven't talked about him a great deal, but he's someone who's definitely interesting.
0: There is a multi-year guy that we've been putting on people's radars for years, for (laughs) multi-years. And he's finally coming through for us, Cole. He's here. (laughs) Eve Ponds. Eve Ponds. He's starting eight games for Tennessee so far. 12.6 points. 5.5 rebounds. Shooting 36% from three on 3.1 attempts per game. 53.7% from the field. 80% from the line. Blocking 2.4 shots per game. Eve Ponds, the the hype is back, baby. The hype is here and it's real and...
1: I love it. <laughs> it's hilarious. Like people two years ago were probably like, "Why the fuck are these guys talking about Eve Pons? Just I mean maybe they hadn't seen the highlights of him dunking, which his athleticism is just ridiculous for his build. Like he's an incredible athlete. But I think you see more production this year cuz he's playing a little bit more big. You see the blocks go way up because he's closer to the rim making rotations. Yeah. He's had some incredible blocks. He's had some, you know, incredible dunks, but I, I do think the shooting ability Progressing like it has, I'm not sure if I really fully buy a shot. But 20 of 25 from the line, nine of 25 from three. Never had really great feel, and he still doesn't. Like he he messes up a lot. He doesn't know exactly where to be. Doesn't know how to play the game like at a high level. But this is someone who has legitimately. He he has like top shelf NBA athleticism, especially when you factor in functional strength. He
0: is a wildly explosive human being who is like six seven, two hundred and forty pounds, and who has like legit weak side shot blocking instincts. He is like yeah. a very a very real prospect, I think. Like, I have him in my top 100 right now. He is a very real, interesting prospect. I actually have three guys from this Tennessee team in my top 100 right now. I was not expecting that after Grant and Admiral left. But Jordan Bowden is just knocking down 40. 2% of his threes he's always been a spectacular shooter and he's starting to do a little bit more on ball um and obviously uh Josiah Jordan James uh slow start he's I had him projected like late first to start the year and he's fallen down like he's somewhere like 50s or so um yep so like a guy that is rebounding the hell out of the ball like he's actually leading them in rebounding and he is dishing out like 2.3 assists per game and like he he's It's not that he's been ineffectual. He actually does that like impact the game, but he is, it would be like if Troy Brown that year at Oregon was on a good team with like actual good players. And I don't really want to shit on Dana Altman because Dana is like a pretty good offensive head coach. But like that whole situation that year was just weird because they brought in a lot of grad transfers and it it just like didn't seem like a normal situation. This is like a bit more of a functional roster. And because of it, I think that uh, they just don't rely on him as much as Oregon relied on Troy Brown.
1: Yeah, totally agree with that in regards to James and last point on ponds for me, I think he's kind of interesting as like a two way guy. If he were to come out, like I think that that would be really interesting for me. I I, I might even end up with him like late second round or something. I don't, I don't know yet as far as who comes out, who declares and who progresses over the rest of the season. But I do think he's a real guy to consider. He's not just like this highlight real, you know, Player, I, I think that he has some real strengths on the floor now, especially when he's playing more of a big position. Like if you think of him as like, you know, a four and like a, maybe a small ball backup five at times with his strength and athleticism, especially the way some of these NBA teams play in the regular season, I think that he has a role.
0: Okay, give me Eve Pons at the five minutes in the NBA. I demand it <laughs> like right now. Leave Tennessee right now, Eve. Go to the NBA. <laughs> um The last guy you wanted to talk about was Aaron Wiggins and another guy that I have in my top 100 Aaron Wiggins is a very interesting prospect uh very good defender I thought he was a good defender last year too he's actually added a little bit I think off the bounce this year which is something that you and I actually didn't talk about before we started this but like I actually think that like he can attack a closeout a little bit more this year he's like a guy that shot 34% from two point range last year. And like, he's increased that to 42%, which is still disastrous for a guy that's six, six with a seven foot wingspan. But like, it's a very clear improvement. And with the ball handling improvement, like you can at least make a, make a case that he has taken a leap despite the fact that, uh, He's only shooting 31.4 from three right now.
1: Yeah, for me, what stood out to him initially, I watched him much earlier in the season, is just the physical improvement. Like, he's definitely bigger. He's been able to add girth to his frame. He's still not the biggest guy at six six, but he has a legitimate frame. He's not just this guy that blows over in the wind, for example. And I think that progression was a positive, and... I agree with you about some of the straight line slashing. He's made some really athletic plays. Like, I watched the Notre Dame game. He had like a wild tip dunk off his own miss. He had like a couple really awesome blocks. Like, he had this one really athletic chase down block and then a couple really nice rotations. You kind of spoke to the defense. And like, he's. He's at least a little bit physical for his size. Takes He took a charge in that game off a nice reaction. So I just think there's a little bit more there that maybe meets the eye. Like last year, I think a lot of people considered him just a shooter because of his percentages. I mean, he was 41% from three on 150 attempts, only took 30 free throws, 86%. And those are both regressed on very small sample size, like 13 of 20 from the foul line thus far. He, his shot doesn't look quite as fluid to me. So I'm going to go back and look at that over the weekend and see if I missed any kind of tweak. Maybe he just got you know so much stronger and it takes you time to kind of... of acclimate shooting the ball after adding strength so i'm gonna look for that but i do think he's interesting i'm not sure how high i'd have him yet but if he can really get back to shooting the ball like he did last year which he shot really well even a little bit off movement not that much he's mostly like a catch and shoot guy but just someone who i think has some some two-way appeal even if he doesn't really move the needle in either respect
0: i think that's about all i've got here I, i feel like basically the same way on wiggins Like I think I have him like in the seventies or so on my board, like a guy that probably not quite there yet. But if you told me he was a riser throughout the year, because he started to shoot 40% from three and started to do some things that were a little bit more interesting, uh, even in terms of the handle, because I still think he has a little bit of a ways to go there. uh, Also as a passer, like I would like to see him take a bit of a leap. So yes, he is just like a guy right now for me, but one that's definitely worth tracking long-term. He's a little bit older. Too, than what people think. I, I don't know if he took a post-grad year or what, but I think he's like 21 or so already. So, uh, Cole, is there any, anything else that we need to discuss here before we get out of here? I
1: have, I have one more question for you about a prospect and then we can get out of here because he plays USC tonight. Do you have any thoughts on Desmond Bain?
0: I, I mean like, I, I really like Desmond is like, like I think he's actually really quite interesting just because he's a really good shooter with very funky mechanics. Um, But like, he's always been a really good shooter. Like we're at the point now where we have 400 attempts of him at 43% from three. I think we should just trust that he's a really good shooter. I also tend to buy these guys that are just really fucking strong, right? Um, And he is like 215 pounds and jacked. He has short arms. Uh, I think he might even have like a negative wingspan. Where the leap has been this year has been that he is now handling the ball. A little bit more like they're p- playing him next to, um, if I remember correctly, it's it's going to be PJ Fuller, right? Um, yep. And like Fuller's, or no, 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 they're playing Fuller only a few minutes. Like he is playing next to PJ Fuller, but like who is there? Who's the point guard? It's, uh, I oh, do not it's, know it's, um, uh, Damn it! It's um, Nemhard, right? Like they, or, and uh, like Dennis. They have they, the two. The Dennis is the kid from Utah, or not Utah, UTA, uh, Texas Arlington, and then Nemhard is obviously Andrew. I think it's Andrew's brother or cousin. I can't remember, but um, they're they're playing like. Both of those guys, or like all three of those guys, is like kind of a triumvirate. Uh, along with Fuller, who comes off the bench, Fuller's like the most interesting prospect of that group, which is why like I watch him a decent yep. amount. And they have the uh, is the Argentine Farabello kid too. Like they they play a lot of these guys on ball. Like Desmond Bain, Nemhard, Edric Dennis, and Farabello are all averaging at least three assists per game. And PJ Fuller is you know a guy that they do essentially play as like a lead guard sometimes. It's a weird ass team. Like they look differently basically every single game that
1: I see them. Yeah, and for the listeners of this podcast that comes out before, they play USC tonight, so a good chance to see a Kongwu. I just wanted to make a quick point on Bane just because again, we have a career like you said 43% three point shooter on 414 attempts. He's also over 80% from the line. And you're dealing yeah. with a guy who's really strong and he can shoot off movement. He knows how to play. Like he's a pretty by good By the way, like too. he guards
0: force like uh, sometimes for them. Like right, he's exactly like he's like down the lineup for them a lot.
1: Yeah. And I, I think the functional strength really just adds to it. When you, when you couple that with a guy, he doesn't have a ton off the dribble. Like you said, has added it a little bit, but I don't think he, it's much as far as projection. You don't really project him as a creator. He's more of kind of like a little bit of a movement shooter, catch and shoot guy who can pass. I think he's getting slept on a little bit just with that strength level. I think he's someone to keep on the radar. The arm
0: length is going to be why people denounce him as a prospect. It. Um, put it this way. Like he almost came out. Last year, right? Uh, he like went through the the pro basketball combine that is out here in, or I don't know if it was out here in LA, but it was. It might have been in Florida last year. Um, like he went through that, and what I got told is like he's just short arms, and like we don't know what position he plays in terms of size. So I don't necessarily know what to do with him positionally, but he's real interesting. Like, is he's a really interesting player at least. Uh, and like you said, the numbers are what the numbers are. And uh, I, I just don't, he has made a leap as like a guy that can handle the ball. I, I really want to root for Desmond Bain. Like I really want him because want him to like figure it out. And I'm like kind of talking around the fact that part of me doesn't believe in it, but I would really like for him to figure it out uh, as a ball handler specifically, because I think that that is the road. And if he can do that, he's very interesting.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think if he can do that, it becomes very interesting. I think right now, I I just think he's someone who should be on the radar. And I lied. I have one more guy really quickly. Elijah Hughes plays for Syracuse. I, yeah. I can understand that people don't know who he is just because nobody wants to watch Syracuse. But I do feel like, you know, a legit 6'6". Six, six, he looks more like 6'6 six, six and a half to me. Yeah. Uh, 215 pounds, good frame. Can can shoot a little bit. He has NBA range. I watched a game the other day and he took like two 30 foot threes. And they looked pretty fluid. Has a little bit of dribble drive game. Not high level burst. Doesn't have great explosion, but he can at least dribble, pass, and shoot a little bit. Not sold on his decision making. I haven't watched that much of his tape. And of course, Syracuse. Syracuse plays the zone, so he, he had a couple of nice crash down blocks, but some of that's a product of you know positioning and being in the position to do that. But he's just someone to keep on the radar. It's like a a six six big like bigger bodied frame that can dribble pass and shoot a little bit. I think those guys are, are a little bit rarer than you'd think. And maybe as a, if he comes out, maybe as a two way guy or something, I think he has some allure.
0: So here, here would be my question. I'm going to throw names at you that are his most similar players on Kempom actually. Uh, Davon Reed, Max Struess, Anthony Brown. Um, I think I saw Vic Law down here, like just a lot of guys. And I think they actually kind of match up with, how his game kind of works on the floor too. Like, I don't think he's some like crazy athlete. Like a lot of these guys like are not crazy athletes. Uh, I I do buy the shooting for sure. Like I bought the shooting for Reed for Shrews for Brown. Um, Not as much for Vic law, but like I bought the shooting for all those guys. I just don't know if he has enough game. Like I'm just going to be real with it.
1: I don't either. I'm just, I, I think that he's a, on a radar guy. I do think he has a little bit more handle than those guys for the most part. Like Struis, of course, is a more dynamic movement shooter. I think I'll there's some, some technical differences. <laughs> and like, I think Reed is more of like a straight three and D. Um, for me, I think that Hughes can at least put the ball on the floor a little bit. Now, I don't know how valuable that's going to be. Because like you said, not overly explosive as a slasher. So how much is it really going to matter? But he can pass a little bit too. Like he's averaging what, like four assists a game this year. And you can see that play on the floor. Like he's he's not like, a, a, again, like a high level decision maker in my opinion but i've seen him make some nice reads so not a lot of guys can do that at that size
0: yeah i i agree with you like just how all of those guys were interesting prospects in some regard right like guys that probably need to be on like a top 100 or so um elijah was probably one of the last 10 cuts on my top 100 right now like sure so definitely a guy that is interesting but yeah uh, maybe you've sold me on him a little bit maybe just a little bit more than what I was previously. Uh, also I sold note, myself, <laughs> what I will say also of note, the numbers are always going to be just like maybe 10 percent inflated because these guys at Syracuse that are there tend to play like wild minutes. Right. So like he's playing, I want to say, 36 percent or 36 minutes a night, 37 minutes. Insane. A night, right.
1: Yeah. He's 36, six. So, yeah.
0: Um, Cole, I don't know. Do you uh, do you have any do you have any takes that you need to get off the sh- off your chest about pop culture? Any Anything
1: exciting? I really have zero takes. Honestly, I haven't done anything pop culture, movie related. I know we usually have like some kind of movie corner. I haven't seen anything. Have you since have you the last time we've spoken? I've seen
0: too many things since the last time we've spoken. Um, <laughs> what have I not talked about on the podcast yet? I've not talked about Jojo Rabbit. I enjoyed Jojo Rabbit. I thought it was fun. and in, I'm a big Taika Waititi guy. He's it was just like a very smart little enjoyable movie with fun little performances. Uh, I don't know if I'm buying the best picture talk for it, but I thoroughly enjoyed it nonetheless. Um, There's this movie on you can like rent it on Amazon Prime or whatever. It's called Sweetheart where this girl it's Kinsey Clemens. she's on an island and she's like shipwrecked on an island and trying to survive and it's very interesting I would suggest people watch that too um trying to think if there's anything else my wife and I have been watching the murder of Lacey Peterson on Hulu do you do you remember that from when we were like because what you're two years older than me if I remember correctly so you would have been probably 14 or 15 when that
1: went down I do not off the top of my head no
0: the so like the guy like uh, was charged with murdering his wife in Modesto, California. Um, his pregnant wife, and they like eventually found the body of both the baby and the uh, and the wife like in the San Frans- in the San Francisco Bay. I uh, it was it was interesting. I'm not gonna. I I'd, it was definitely told from a point of view. But the point of view that the documentary is told from makes you believe that there is a real chance he's innocent and on
1: death row right now. Interesting. Yeah. For some reason, I have no recollection of this.
0: Yeah. And again, I don't, I have done like cursory research into it, like after watching this. And it's like, okay, this documentary very clearly came from a point of view. Having said that, the documentary does raise very interesting points about the way the trial went. I will say that if you're into uh, the justice system in the United States, as Cole, I'm sure is as a lawyer uh, who has, uh, I believe, passed the bar in the state of Washington.
1: There you go. Um, I have not. Actually, I've not passed the bar in Washington. <laughs> I'm licensed in Wisconsin, not Washington. So I guess that's a little tidbit. Have you watched? Uh, I do have one pop culture reference. You, have you watched The Mandalorian?
0: Yes, I have not watched it today yet. I have. Um, I am. We're caught up through today. Or like the one before today.
1: Me too. Yeah. I, I had to do it just cause all the damn baby Yoda memes. I was like, I gotta see what the fuck this is about. And, uh, it's pretty good. It's yeah. It's like
0: pretty good. I think is like the way to put it. Like I will happily continue to enjoy watching it. And it's nice to like spend time with baby Yoda. It's nice to spend time with Pedro Pascal. And the episode, I think the last episode was probably my favorite one with Gina, Gina Carano. Like I thought it was really, really good. Um, it's not like my favorite show on TV or anything, but I'm really enjoying it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I'm the same. It's watchable. Uh, I'm not like over the moon about it. I know people, of course, love Star Wars. I like Star Wars a lot, but I'm not like the biggest Star Wars fan.
0: Yeah. And then Laura and I started watching Servant last night on uh, Apple TV+. Or is that what it is? I don't know what the app is it's the Apple TV app. Um it's like M Night Shyamalan's new TV show. It's I'm intrigued. I, I, I'm it needs to go somewhere, but I'm intrigued. For it's like one of those shows where I it's very clearly an M Night Shyamalan show where like there are twists and turns. So I kinda don't want to give away like too too much of it if people are interested. But I will just say that like if you have if you already have Apple TV Plus, it's worth watching and giving a shot. Interesting. So that's about all I've got on uh, movie slash TV slash my random ass pop culture corner. <laughs> let's do review corner real quick, Cole. Let's see if we've got anything interesting here. I would I would think that there's probably probably something. Um, let's see. We've got uh, here. Here's one. From pro-labor Bill Simmons, we don't just read the positive ones here. Maybe the best (laughs) NBA draft-focused podcast out right now, although nothing will ever sniff the old Stepien pod with Sean and Cole. Cole is awesome, and Sam has made progress in his evaluations and takes since last year. Sam is a good host, Jesus. and I appreciate the perspective of someone who watches a lot of college basketball. The only thing he does that annoys me is cut Cole off fairly consistently. Tough but fair.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> tough,
0: tough but fair. Oh, I,
1: I, <laughs> firm but fair. No, it's, it is what it is, man. <laughs> I love
0: it. I love it. Send me, uh, send me more reviews about me being terrible at my job and cutting Cole off who is a dear friend. I love <laughs> usually it. Usually
1: it's doing it. That, that's, that's a public service. Usually I do tend to talk fast and too much. So uh, <laughs> I, I definitely, it definitely reels me back in, man.
0: Oh, I love it. Please leave us more reviews. Leave us ratings. Uh, please have a good weekend too. Uh, we'll be back next week at some point. Uh, I'll probably try and do three podcasts at some point. Like I want to get back into writing three podcast or doing three podcasts a week, but the problem is that these crazy uh, NBA rookie scale prospect posts take so long for me to do that I end up just like getting crushed, like with a pile of work and end up doing two of these a week. So I'd like to do three a week. We'll see if we can get there, though. But until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.